If you've been listening to the Building a Story Brand podcast for a while, you're probably wondering what's next. You've probably sat around thinking, you know, I've got to bring my marketing into this next evolution. I've got to clean up the clutter and see a better response from customers. If you want to get started for free, just go to 5minutemarketingmakeover.com. You can either spell it out or use the number. doesn't matter. 5minutemarketingmakeover.com. I will give you three five-minute videos that if you just execute what I say in those videos, you will definitely see results. It is the best place to start. 5minutemarketingmakeover.com. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 4 of the Building a Story Brand Podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business. Hello, JJ. Hola, senor. <laughs> <laughs> We've got a great interview today. Uh, we're going to talk to John Gordon in Jacksonville, Florida about yeah. his books. And the idea behind what we're talking about with John is that you don't have to hate your work and your work doesn't have to kill yes. you. Yes. And what was <laughs> fun goodness. is before we started recording, we were both kind of like, I mean, every once in a while, I kind of pinch myself and go, is this really my job? Do yeah. I really get yeah. to do this? Because we both had really hard jobs yes. in the past. Yes. Um, but this job is awesome. I and mean, we do work hard. People work uh -huh. long hours here, and, and we give a lot of equipment. But we also play Frisbee golf every day. <laughs> <Yeah. right> up, <laughs> right we get up donuts on Friday. That's right. We get donuts. <laughs> and hopefully, we walk them off and, uh, yes, and play then, Frisbee golf. And then get more donuts. We used to <laughs> <laughs> and we scored, not to brag, although although this is definitely bragging, we uh -huh. scored like 99% on the is it fun to go to work yes. survey that uh, we took some big psychological tests. Which and, it is. But I remember when days weren't that good. What was the uh. hardest job? The first job I ever had, my mom, I think I don't even think I was 16 years uh -huh. old. It's probably illegal for me to work uh -huh. as child labor. Popeye's fried chicken. Uh, and it was... Now I want that. No, you don't. Oh. <laughs> you don't. It was the hardest job. Yeah. I mean, it was just like, it was really tough. I won't go into it because it's a good brand, a good, oh, a good I, restaurant. But, I but had fast a ton food of those. at 16 years old. Oh, yeah. No. The food is good. Yep. But it was just at 16 years old learning. It, that was the hardest job. The, one of the best jobs was delivering Chinese food in a little town called Pearland, Texas, in my <laughs> Dotson 510. And the, I, I used to love it when we get a call the neighbor, the far neighborhood on the edge of town, which was 20 minutes away. I'm like, I can just listen to like my REM tape for 20 minutes yeah. while I'm delivering this. <laughs> oh, yeah. I worked in the strawberry fields in Oregon. Like during oh, the summer, yeah. we'd get up at like five in the morning, Not four in the morning, get out there, cherry picking, pick cherries and sorted cherries. The weirdest one, I think, for me, it's not that weird for most people, but I was a weight room supervisor in college. <laughs> like where I would, they like trusted me to spot people. <laughs> Is that what you got your nickname, Squat Rack? <laughs> Yes, yes, and my, yes, that's it, exactly where it is. They call me Squat Rack. Uh, but yeah, that was like a weird, it was like this tiny person who was like spotting these giant people doing weight room. Literally, they're just going to die yeah, if they I drop would, that thing. Most of the time, I would just sleep on the bench. I would just, I had to go in early and I would that sleep on the awesome. bench and let them do it. But, Fold up some warm yeah. towels and go to bed. Yeah. Probably the, the physically the hardest, I worked a jackhammer one summer in Houston, Texas. <laughs> and I remember going home, Huey Rainey was my boss, he was <laughs> Terrific. It's just a cowboy. <laughs> oh, he was so fun. Drop me off and you get this big giant air hammer. And the thing weighs like 600 pounds, right? Yeah. And I'm covered in gasoline and dirt and filth. I would literally go home at night. I lay, I kid you not, I did this for I think four straight days. 
I would lay down my bed with those dirty clothes on, wake up in the morning, put my shoes back on, exact same clothes, right and in. go right back in. There was absolutely oh, no reason to get clean. <laughs> it, and, I, and I was so exhausted and so sore. Those were tough times. But then we move into the professional. Yeah. Uh, we're sit down and we look at a computer and all this stuff. John starts this story because, the, yeah. the, again, the whole interview is about can you love your work? What are the dynamics yeah. of loving work? How do you become a craftsman? How do you not let work own you? And his story begins, we're talking about his book, The Carpenter. It's a yeah. fictional account that teaches all these principles. But the story begins with this character who's out on a jog and he collapses. Yeah. I mean, it's a heart attack or something and he collapses. You had a yeah, tough actually really similar. Like yeah, I was, I was dean of students at a college. Yeah. And at the time, I was living in the dorms. I was basically in one of the dorm apartments, kind of making sure that everything went well. We were on accreditation probation from the government. I was teaching classes. I was finishing my PhD and our president resigned. Mm. And then also because of the president resigned and probation, we had to cut budget. So I actually was in the process of firing some people on my staff who were wonderful, but I had to cut budget. Yeah. So I'm firing my best friends. I'm living with oh, students 24 gosh. hours a yeah. day, teaching classes, doing my PhD. I also was launching a television show at that time while I was doing it. <laughs> and, and then I was also dealing with a whole bunch of personal stuff, very, very personal, hard stuff on the side. And one day I was in the classroom and I was giving a test and all of a sudden my arm went numb. And uh, I started feeling pain good. first and then numb. And, and I yo- up- I mean, you're young now, so you were... Mm-ish. <laughs> <laughs> you're in your mid-30s at this yeah, point, right? Yeah, I mean, There's no reason mid-30s. for you to be having these kinds of and problems. And I ended up walking into the hallway and collapsing, and my associate dean made me go to the hospital. Yeah. And I ended up going to the hospital. They hooked me up to EKG, everything, and I was... I mean, it was pretty terrifying, and uh, they actually said, no, you don't have anything physically wrong with you. Your heart is okay. It's just the stress. It's just the stress. And at the time, I was also having multiple migraines a week and these heart problems, and it just turned out to be anxiety and stress. And that's kind of when I realized something needs to change here. Yeah. Well, we're glad yeah. to have you here and oh, healthy. I'm <laughs> glad to be here. And I, I have well. not had a migraine since I've been here, I'll tell you that. Uh, well, you know, it's a sadly common story. I know Michael Hyatt, our good friend Michael Hyatt, has a yeah. similar story working in publishing and had a heart attack and has bounced back, obviously. And But he has a very disciplined way of viewing his life, and he doesn't let anxiety take over. And John, I met John. I've, of course, I'd read his books and been a big fan of John Gordon. I'm a big football fan, and he helps all these football teams uh-huh. achieve excellence, <laughs> you know. So every once in a while, he'll email me or call me and say, Don, can you be in the Titans locker room? And I'll be out of town. I'm like, why do you call when I'm out of town? <laughs> but he's an awesome, awesome guy. And I got to know him a little bit because he spoke out in Dave Ramsey's uh, chapel out there his, oh. for his staff and I, I just wanted to go out and hear him so I, yeah. I begged Dave can I come out and hear and you know I sat in the back of the room and then John and I went and got lunch at uh, Whole Foods he's like the, he's like a perfect eater you wouldn't believe what this guy <laughs> eats it's like one piece of spinach with some lemon zest air so not Friday donuts <laughs> not, not Friday, Friday donuts weird he okay. doesn't eat Friday donuts weird. but he ended up being you know sometimes you meet writers and they've presented their best selves in their books and you don't really get to know them super well and yeah. that's not all of them but it takes a long time sometimes to get yeah. to know right and that was not the case with John I, we were fast friends he was vulnerable authentic driven loved his family and I've loved him ever since you're actually going to hear like mutual man crush in this interview <laughs> which I literally asked Tim uh, the producer of this show can you edit some of that out while we're doing this thing <laughs> But this story, you know, it's really about his book, The Carpenter. And if you are somebody who has lost a night's sleep in mm-hmm. the last month because mm-hmm. of something you're worried about at work, 
your spouse doesn't feel like they're getting the kind of time that they need. Your kids are wanting more time with you and don't feel like you're present when you're home. You're hooked on your phone. You're checking Slack and email a little too often. There's, there's a lesson here for us. And I just love that John has gone before us and figured this out and written it in a fiction form. He's actually going to just paraphrase the story during this interview and walk us through the principles of not letting work control our lives and really kill us early. And instead, turning our jobs into a tool that we can use to make the world better, make our lives better. But not only that, bring out the best in us as we become craftsmen. It's not about not working hard. We can work even harder and find less stress. It's a mentality. So here's me talking to John. He's in Jacksonville, Florida, and we're talking about his book, The Carpenter, and I hope you get something really healthy and helpful out of it. John, thanks for taking time. Great to be with you, Don. John, I actually want to talk to you about this book, The Carpenter. A lot of our listeners are entrepreneurial. They're startup folks. I would say like 25% of them are heading up a a decently small business, sub $5 million. And so they're dealing with the fact that they're wearing a lot of hats. They're taking their work home with them. They got their cell phone glued to their hand. And you write about a character just like that. And something really terrible happens to this character before something really good happens to this character. Can you tell us a little bit of the story without giving away too much? Uh, sure. I love this story because it's about a guy named Michael and his wife, Sarah, and they're, they're building their business. It's a startup and they are just stressed to the max. Michael, more stressed than anyone. <laughs> and he's on this jog and he collapses. So the book starts and he's in this hospital and they tell him that he fell, uh, was a dangerous fall. Uh, his life was threatened, but thankfully someone came along, stopped the bleeding, called 911 and saved his life. He asked who that was. They said, we don't know, but he left a card. And the card had the word, the carpenter on it, just carpenter. And a phone number. number. That's a mystery right there. Right, with a phone number. Michael's like, okay, the guy's obviously not great at marketing with just a number and the name (laughs) carpenter. But Mm. he says, I got to see this guy. I got to thank him. He winds up calling him, gets a voicemail. And the voicemail says, actually, that I don't take phone calls, but I am at this location if you want to see me. And again, Michael's like, wow, this guy. You're kidding. So he has to go see the guy. He has to go see him because he's obviously not great at marketing, right? That's but then funny. he goes and sees him and they talk and he realizes this guy is a craftsman. He really is about the craft. And he says, you know what? If you do great work and if you focus on your craft and you make that your priority, that customers will then clamor for your work. And so he actually hires them to come into his house to build an entertainment center. But during that process, because he's recovering from you know the fall and so forth, They really get to know each other, and the carpenter really starts giving him these principles to build his business and to do it so that it will last, to do it so that it will be sustained, and that will be the most successful of all. I love that idea. And there's also that other idea that I'm I'm guessing this carpenter isn't stressed to the max or collapsing on jogs. He's doing something different in his life too, right? Yes, he actually, yes, comes from peace, from joy, and from love. So he's the kind of carpenter that we really all want to be. And he's this, uh, you know, the wise man that really gives the advice that we all need that maybe that I know I wish I had years ago. In the story brand framework, we call that guy the guide. He's the guide, not the hero, the guide. He is the guide, exactly. And Michael is the hero. Why is it that we have trouble believing that it's as simple as doing really great work or the power of just doing really great work, owning our craft, falling in love with it? How important is that? 
as opposed to just churning out minimum viable product and getting it out the door? Well, we think it has to be complicated to be successful. I think one of the first and foremost key principles that simple is powerful. Mm-hmm. And when you make it simple, you make it clear, bold, and compelling, just like you talk about in StoryBrand, right? You make it simple. Well, that simplicity does lead to power. It leads to action. And it leads to doing great work. So I think we live in a world where everyone's racing to the bottom. Everyone's trying to find uh, that, that secret recipe for success. They want it now. They think they can have it now. But what they don't know is that real success takes time to build. It takes time yeah. to work your craft. I mean, the energy bus that I wrote, it was rejected by over 30 publishers. <laughs> I still look back at that journey and going on this 28-city tour paid for by myself from city to city, sharing the message in the book. Five people in one city, 10 people in another, 20 people in another. I mean, the most people we had were 100 people in Des Moines, Iowa. They thought Jeff Gordon was coming. That's why, <laughs> that's why they showed up. But And that's a true story. They were calling me Jeff all the time. So I look back on that. And again, people come to me now and they say, you know, I want to write a best-selling book. I want to have a a successful book. I want to write and speak. I say, okay, great. But for me, it's been a craft. It's been a journey. It's been 10 long years. And so with any endeavor, though, I mean, I work with a lot of athletes, right? I work with business people. You work with artists and you find that that that's what it takes to be successful. So I think we, we buy the Hollywood dream. You know, we buy the Hollywood dream. And you can't do it unless you love it. I mean, I, I got a manuscript from somebody not long ago, and you know, it was a long, winding manuscript. And you, you, know, you and I get these things once a week, and you could tell that the author, she was just trying to get a bunch of words on the page, but she didn't love the craft enough to sit for the next year and actually edit it into a book. I think unless you love what you're doing, I, I think it would be very hard to create really good stuff. Can't agree more. You know, if you don't love it, you'll never be great at it. And you'll hate your job. Who wants to hate their job? You'll hate it every day. And love is one of the key principles of the book because, again, fear is such a predominant theme in our lives. And it hits us on our journey towards greatness, towards developing our craft. So first and foremost, love casts out fear. So if you don't love it, you'll never be able to overcome all the fear that's coming your way. Then the love of it also helps you overcome all the rejection and the obstacles and the setbacks to just keep moving forward. So there has to be a greater driver. You know, grit is the number one predictor and factor of success. Research shows grit. Hmm. And I've been thinking a lot about that and what drives grit, right? What powers grit? And it is love. Love is one of the key drivers of grit. Purposes as well, but love is a key driver. That's amazing. We don't think of those as business words, but they really are. Okay, so we've got this guy, the carpenter, and he's over at Michael's house. Michael is in bed recovering. Uh, This guy's building an entertainment center. Michael clearly recognizes this guy loves his work. He doesn't collapse (laughs) when he's on a jog. What's he all about? Can you give us a few of the principles? I don't want you to give away the book because I want everybody to go buy the book, but can you give us a few of the principles that he teaches? Well, one of my favorites is the first one. It's design your masterpiece. You know, in, in order to build something great, you first have to design it. What does it look like? You're not just going to jump into a business without a vision. You're not just going to start building something without a set of plans. Mm-hmm. And so it's important to have what that masterpiece looks like. And for me, that's vision. What is your vision? What do you want to build? Whether it's your career, whether it's your life, whether it's your team, your organization, a new startup, what's your long-term vision for your company? Because if you can see it, you can create it. If you have a vision, then you also have the power to make it happen. And so that vision helps you see what you're building. I call this pulling out your telescope. You have to have a telescope of what you want to build. But then you also have have to have short-term vision, which is your microscope. 
That's mm. showing up every day, seeing what needs to be done here and now today, right? So you have to work on being great today in order to create greatness tomorrow. And so you have this telescope and microscope. Without a, a telescope, the grind's going to get you down. Rejection's going to make you want to quit, and you likely will give up. So you need a telescope for that long-term vision of what your masterpiece looks like. If you just had the, the telescope, no microscope, then you're dreaming all the time. You're just in vision all the time, but yeah. there's no action. Yeah. So we really need both. John, is it important to write down what you see in that telescope? I mean, I'm imagining like when you're talking about a telescope, you're talking about looking into the future and describing what you see, what you want it to look like. Is that what you mean? I encourage people all the time to write down their vision, write down their goals. I was just with Clemson football. They actually were creating vision boards for their football team. Oh, I love it. But I also said even more important than vision, though, once you have the vision, it's also important to have your commitments written down. Because Every team in America really does have the same goal and the same vision. Yeah. And only one team is going to make it. So will your goals lead you there? Not necessarily. It's your commitments to the goals that will lead you there. And again, this craftsman, this carpenter is teaching that it's not just about the vision, design your masterpiece, but then each day, which is the next principle, we have to build with optimism through all the adversity and the struggle. So design your masterpiece, cast a vision for your life, make sure you're willing to do the work every day. The thing that happens, here's what happens when people establish a vision, and you kind of know this. Here's the reason I think people don't do it. It is as soon as you write it down, you get hit with fear, uh, villainous uh, challenges. It, sometimes it's easier just to coast than it is to try these things because, you know, you point to the top of a mountain and it sounds so inspirational. Then you start hiking and your feet start hurting pretty quick. <laughs> <laughs> so optimism is the only thing that's going to get you up that mountain, right? Right. Well, optimism day in and day out and also the vision for the road ahead, right? You have to have both on the journey. And it's about saying, okay, what do I need to do today? What will help me become great today? How will I get closer to that vision today? And I just love that you said that because everything in the beginning seems exciting and yeah, rewarding yeah. and fun, but the journey isn't easy. And again, a big part of grit is that optimism. It is that belief. It's overcoming negativity adversity and people I call energy vampires on our journey. There are people that will suck the life right out of you on your journey. If you let them, Gandhi said, I will not let anyone walk through my mind with their dirty feet. Ooh, ooh, that's so good. Yeah. We need to show up with that every day with that mindset because not everyone's going to share your vision. Not everyone's going to share your belief. So your optimism and your belief must be greater than all the negativity and doubt. Where does optimism come from? I mean, not everybody has it. What do you do when you're talking to, you know, a football player or some of the executives that you so frequently talk to? And it's very clear they're beaten. They're just beaten. And they have wrongly believed the world is out to get them rather than the world is conspiring to make them great. What do you say to that person? I say that it really starts with your perspective, ultimately how you see the world, because how you see the world determines the world that you see. So it really starts with, again, is the world for me? or against me. Every day you wake up, am I blessed or am I stressed? The research shows you can't be stressed and thankful at the same time. Mm. Is that challenge a challenge or an opportunity? And again, it is your perspective. It is your mindset. I think a lot of it has to do with our faith and our belief. And I'm not someone who's naturally positive. So so for me- You're not. No, I really could speak to this because- You have to I, work on it. I have to work on it. And I consider myself a pessimistic optimist. <laughs> which means at first I get really down, but then I have this eternal hope, this eternal belief that it's possible. And we look at leaders like Steve Jobs and, and Walt Disney and those 
Elon Musk, and, and again, even you building your company. I mean, you believed that this is something that can make a difference, that could change the world. So I believe that purpose, that vision, that hope is ultimately what drives, again, the grit and the optimism. I believe optimism is really also a big byproduct of purpose and a vision for a better and brighter future. Well, give me one more. I mean, design our masterpiece, look through the telescope at a vision, write it down, have an optimistic attitude and fight. I think we have to fight for that optimistic attitude every day until it's ingrained in us. And is there a third? Well, I love what you just said, fight for it. There's a difference between a carpenter and a craftsman. And a big part of this is the carpenter just shows up. So the carpenter says, you know, even though I'm called a carpenter, I really see myself as a craftsman. Hmm. And then Michael says, what's the difference? He said, well, the craftsman puts their heart and their soul into their work. They show up every day working on their craft. So it's that effort, that hard work, that desire just to get a little bit better each day, to make something a little bit better over time is what leads to the masterpiece. So that fight, that work every day is really key. And that leads us to care. You know, love, serve, and care are really the three main principles of all. That if you love, you serve, and you care, you will grow your business. You will grow yeah. your life. Yeah. You will grow everything. I always say don't focus, and this is a big part of the book, don't focus on building your business. People say, you got to build your business. No, focus on loving, serving, and caring, and your business will exponentially grow. And you know as well as I do that companies that care and people that care, they actually stand out. Well, they yeah, they do. Yeah, so many don't seem to care anymore. But, you know, it's interesting that one of the things that we say at StoryBrand is the day you stop losing sleep over your business and the day you start losing sleep over your customers' lives is the day your business will grow. Wow. You know, what are you worried about? Are you worried about yourself? Are you worried about your customers? And I think business leaders that worry about their customers and worry about their customers having a happy ending to the story as it relates to their products and services, you just see them explode. You see those companies explode. It's very counterintuitive. And it's so simple, like we say, okay, just care, right? But if, if you look at public supermarkets in Florida, where I live, right? When you ask someone who works there where something is on a shelf, they don't say, hey, good luck, aisle nine, you know, see if you can find it. <laughs> they actually walk you to Let the Let me spot. take you there, yeah. Yeah, they take you there and they, they are known for that, right? So I believe every great company has a caring trademark, mm. something that they're known for, something that the marketplace remembers and knows about this company. This is how they do things. And so again, when you care, you just stand out. And leaders, for instance, leaders have a caring trademark. Every coach I've worked with has a caring trademark. Every great CEO, every great leader, you can tell what their caring trademark is and people know it. Well, John, I know you can't give it away and I don't want you to give it away. Uh, Michael, I'm sure ends up okay. I doubt he goes back <laughs> to jogging and collapses. And uh, what does his life look like after he metabolizes these? What does his life look like? Well, of course, as any hero on their journey, he goes through the struggles. He has to find the courage to ultimately succeed. But yeah, when he when he does build his business, the best part of all is the ending. Hmm. And this ending, when I wrote it, I a week before I called my publisher, I said, I don't have the ending. I don't know. Maybe it's an earthquake. Maybe the entertainment center burns in a fire. I just don't know <laughs> what it is. I don't have the ending. And then I'm walking on the beach about a week later and boom, it hit me. And when I saw the way the ending connected to the beginning, the, how they fit like perfectly, I was just blown away because I knew that it, it didn't come from me. Mm. And so this ending of how Michael becomes a builder, he becomes someone who learns to build in others. And what you realize is that when you create success, 
a true success. It's not about your success. It's about helping others be successful. And that's where generosity comes in. Mm-hmm. And that's why we pursue greatness in the first place. I believe we actually have it in our DNA and our soul to strive for greatness so that on this journey, we'll basically become someone who can bring out the greatness in others. Talk to me about some of the folks that you've delivered this message to. And I want to hear before and after stories about some of the kids on these football teams, some of the executives that you interact with, because I know you change lives all the time. And I, I hear stories about it, John, and you and I know each other. People talk very fondly of you behind your back. I should let you know. That's not- <laughs> Give me some stories of some folks who, after they experience that transformation, what their lives look like. The best part of this work, as you know, is when people read your books and then start to take action and see a transformation. You know that it's not you and you really know it's not not even the book. You know that it just sparks something, some truth within them where you help them see the truth. And then from there, they were able to take action and then write their own story, realizing that they are the creators of their lives and their stories. That's why I love your book so much. (laughs) So George Raveling, who was just inducted into the Hall of Fame for basketball. I mean, he's been a coach for years and he's 70 years old and he heads up international basketball for Nike, but he said he just, he read The Carpenter. It just changed his whole view and how he looked at life. And then I was recently with a company that actually built their whole caring platform now, their whole approach to customer service around The Carpenter, around the words of love, Love, serve, serve, care. care. Yeah, so to have a whole company now do this. I'm going to speak at another conference where another company is doing the same thing. So to hear from people who are doing that, it's been amazing. And then a couple of quarterbacks, you know, in the NFL and, and in college that they've reached out. And they say, you know, I read that and I just see myself as a craftsman right now. And I'm just going to approach my work differently. Oh, I love it. I, I for personally, I hope two of them are Russell Wilson and Marcus Mariota. So <laughs> I know you can't name names, but I'm just, I have, I have my favorites. John, uh, this has just been an amazing interview. I want to recap your ideas. One is the carpenter would tell us, design your masterpiece, use a telescope to look out into the future, write down what you see, fight for an optimistic attitude about building that because you're going to get attacked. I mean, there is something that attacks anything good being born into the world. Yes. And I think we have a moral obligation to fight whatever that is. And then have this conversion of the heart where instead of uh, thinking about ourselves all the time, we love, we serve, and we care. Thanks for being such a blessing to our audience and to so many people. Uh, John, this interview has been a gift. Thanks, Don. God bless. Well, JJ, this is the part of the podcast that we call How'd They Do It. It's yes, one of my favorite parts. It is. I love it. We actually talked to an alumni, somebody who's been through StoryBrand, clarified their message, created some new collateral, and saw dramatic changes yeah. in their business. And you do these things, and I do them sometimes called private workshops, where yep. people can come to Nashville to one of our workshops, but they can also hire us to go out and meet with their team. And, yeah, yeah. And you flew out to Colorado yeah. and met with Jessica Taylor. Tell us a little bit more about her. Yeah, that was a fun, I loved that group. It was uh, with the Western Healthcare Alliance. Yeah. And Jessica Taylor, she brought me in, and they're an organization, they're a health network that they do shared services for their member hospitals. So they work with kind of rural hospitals in 
particular right. and help them with their financial operations, their HR, some of that, so that the hospitals can just focus on the healthcare of the people. So like a lot of businesses work with it, it's a bit of a complicated model. Yeah. They have a lot going on. It yep. would be hard to say that in one page on a website. Yes. <laughs> but it's also amazing how in a day, when you really sit down and work on it, yep. you can dial in that message and more people can understand. Yeah. So I got to work with their team. They brought in some of the administrators from hospitals to work with us. They brought in their board members. And we, over two days, just worked out their messaging, got it all down. And they began implementing. I got an email from them that said the next day they <laughs> took that into a sales <laughs> I meeting. Love it. What's great about this, and you'll hear Jessica talk about this in the interview, is once they figured out their marketing and branding, they didn't just put it on their website, they actually integrated it into their sales pitches. They integrated it into their meetings that they held for potential members. Hmm. And they saw a dramatic increase in even just their attendance of people who would come to their meetings. That's amazing. Yeah. Attendance went up That's using awesome. this method. So I want to let Jessica kind of talk about this. Love her. We're actually going to be probably doing some more with them in the future. So this is Jessica Taylor from Western Healthcare Alliance. Hi, good morning. This is Jessica. Hey, Jessica. It's JJ. How are you? Hey, JJ. Doing well, thanks. How are you? Good. Long time no talk. It has been. It has been. It's been a busy summer. <laughs> yes, it has. Yes, it has. Um, I got to spend a couple days with you and your team. When was that? Was that last spring we got to be together? It was, yeah, it was the first week of May. I had a great time with you guys. We got to spend two days together and kind of working through your message. So you and I know each other, but for our listeners, could you tell us a little bit about your company? Sure. My, my name is Jessica Taylor, and I'm the VP of Business Strategy at Western Healthcare Alliance. And now I can say that Western Healthcare Alliance provides business solutions for locally driven healthcare. Yes. So, yeah. <laughs> and, and that really works in your industry because you're speaking to very specific people like locally driven healthcare. You're talking about hospitals kind of in areas that aren't a part of big networks, right? Right, right. Our audience is our CEOs and CFOs and leadership of rural hospitals that are independent generally. Well, one of the things not only do I remember about being with you guys about your message was that we got to work through all of that with your team, which was amazing. But you also had incredible pizza. And I remember people <laughs> buy their pizza. And so we we ended our time together with some celebratory pizza. <laughs> we did. <laughs> we did. <laughs> and it was fun because we got to walk through everything because you guys really do work in a niche market that has to target some very specific needs and with some very specific people. And so what did you really struggle with in getting your message together before StoryBrand? So when we were doing our marketing before, we were trying to take some, you know, general strategies and we were trying to, to market to all people and for all sorts of reasons. Yeah. And, and it was really just kind of a, a shotgun approach. So I think one of the, the most valuable things that we took from our time with the Story Brand Workshop was really identifying who our audience is. Yep. That was step one. Yeah, getting real specific about that and saying, who is it that mm -hmm. we're selling to? And then you guys have taken that. So that was kind of the first big paradigm shift for you is identifying who your character was and then identifying how you come alongside as the guide to help them in that. And so what are the areas that you were able to apply the story brand formula to? We really took it to everything. I mean, of course, we focused a lot on our website, and we're going to be launching our refreshed website here shortly. Yes. But it wasn't just for our website. We took it to all of our um, aspects of meeting with, with our members and our clients. 
So we started, um, Story Brand became a verb at our office. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so, yeah, over the last several months, you can hear around the office, um, how can we story brand that? Um, are you story branding that? Ooh, mm. that was a really great story branded presentation you just gave. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really been, um, it's, it's, it's changed the way we've worked um, in a number of ways. Um, so we, we, we did. We went to work right away. The week following, we started with our story brand worksheets. And we did it for all of our different service lines. Oh, my gosh. So you were able to just, like, right away put it to work? We did. I mean, immediately. So I think you were in our office on Wednesday, Thursday. Uh-huh. And right away on Friday, we had a really fun meeting as a staff. And then on Monday, we started in. <laughs> That's so cool. <laughs> oh, I'm so proud of you guys. I, I know we talked a little bit right after when I got some emails and you sent a picture of somebody actually using StoryBrand in a presentation, which I loved. Yeah, we actually, so, I mean, it's not like it's just a strategy that's behind the scenes. We're involving our audiences in the process with us. Oh, so cool. And so because of that, after implementing it with your sales pitches and with your audiences and putting it in different emails and things like that, what kind of results have you seen from this? We have had an increase in participation in our programs. Really? So, uh, yeah. So healthcare has a long, long sales cycle. So it's hard to quantify exact dollars in a three-month period. Yeah, yeah. Quarters, quarters too short for us to really look at the dollars. But what we can see is that people are voting with their feet, mm. and we have seen an increase in participation in our in-person meetings. So that's a it's a huge goal Love for it. us to. Yeah. Yeah, a huge part of what we do is is bringing people together. And so we have people in the room, things start happening. So we've been able to measure. We've seen 25% increase in people attending meetings. In marketing terms, we call that lead measures. Like a lot of times you can't control if people are going to buy, but you can control how many people you engage in the process. And when your lead measures go up, your sales go up. And that's amazing. You've increased by 25% in your lead measures for those meetings. That's right. It's, It's been phenomenal. And then from our effectiveness standpoint, after we've been giving presentations, you know, the worst thing as a presenter is just to say, hey, do you have any questions? And nobody says anything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I hated that as a professor. <laughs> oh, it's, it's awful. Yeah. It's awful feeling. And so uh, what we have seen is after our presentations, we have seen increased engagement with the participants and the attendees. Oh, they ask it. questions. Yeah, they're wanting to know more. They're asking how they can engage with us. They're asking how we can help. We have seen responses from emails go up. So it's it's just been phenomenal, the increase in, in engagement we've seen over just, I mean, really very quickly. That is so awesome. That is so cool. I love that. After going through the story brand process and kind of applying this to your materials, what are some tips or like maybe one tip you could give our audience for things that they could apply to their marketing? Don't be afraid to dig in. Mm. You know, it's intim- it's intimidating to think about your your materials and how you're being presented. And it's, it's a very personal uh, thing when you're thinking about how, how do we look to others. Yeah. But yeah, like I said, we, we got started right away on Monday and we just started trying. Yes. And... Uh, it really made a huge, huge difference and impact, and we just, we just gave it a go. And the other thing that was a huge factor for us is that we involved our audiences with us in the process. Mm. Uh, we had them come to the private workshop with us. Yeah, you actually had some of your clients there in the room to give you some feedback on some of the things we were t- walking through. We did. We we involved our members with us, and 
Um, there can be some fear related around that. We'd be like, okay, we're showing that we don't know everything. Uh, we are, we're, we're talking with our members and asking their opinions. Of, you know, what do you guys think about us? What do you think about what we're doing? And so it was a huge faith trust for us to, to involve our members and have yeah. them there present in the room with us. But that was a huge, huge impact for us and, and really helped us make the most out of the process. That's so key because I think so many people are afraid to ask their customers what they really want, what they're really looking for. And we just like shoot in the dark and try to guess what they want and guess what their problems are. And a lot of times we miss. And being able to invite people into that through surveys or meetings, talking with them and engaging our customers and right off the bat when we're creating messaging, that is so key in order to get down exactly what you need to say. Yes, it made a huge difference, and it wasn't as scary as we thought it was going to be. We can always try and find those trusted people that will give us a straight opinion. Yeah, so great. Well, Jessica, thank you so much for taking the time today to talk with us and our listeners. This is Jessica Taylor from Western Healthcare Alliance. Jessica, thank you so much for spending some time with us today. Thank you so much, JJ. It's been a real pleasure. Are people engaging your sales presentations and other marketing collateral, or are you experiencing crickets just like Jessica used to get? This can all be fixed with clear messaging. If you're frustrated about a lack of engagement, it's time to make a change in your business. I want you to go to 5minutemarketingmakeover.com. It's just the beginning, the tip of the iceberg, but you're going to get some great tips and tools there to clarify your message. And once you see the results, I think you're going to be convinced, just like we are, that message is everything. If you want to clarify your message, again, 5minutemarketingmakeover.com. Either spell it out or use the number. It doesn't matter. 5minutemarketingmakeover.com. JJ, another great yes. episode of Building a Story Brand Podcast. Love I it. love these stories of, you know, I mean, when, when we talk about businesses, and we always say this at the beginning of one of our workshops, because people come in there and they're 50 strangers, they don't know each other. But when you start talking about your business, you're really talking about your vision, your heart, your yep. passion, and there's always tears being shed and yeah. people bonding with each other. So the fact that we get to participate in more people being seen, heard, so and understood. Fun. Yeah, it just means a lot. This was a special episode of John talking about how to love your work and become yeah. a craftsman and not let work own you. Yeah. Uh, really good stuff. I'm honored to be able to do this with you, buddy. So fun. Thanks so much. I love it. All right. Well, music from this episode is from the album Black Bear by Andrew Bell. We love Andrew's work. You can listen to that album on Spotify or download it on iTunes. As always, thanks so much for listening to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business. Mm -hmm.